Well, welcome to the finish line with our fifth and final week of this series that we've been in called At the Movies. If we've never met before, my name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here at CORE. And whether you're here for the first time, you call CORE home, or you find yourself somewhere in between, we want you to know how incredibly excited we are that you're here. We want you here. And we've done all of this so that you might feel comfortable walking into a place like this and maybe just maybe experience something totally unexpected. That as we've moved through this series, our hope is that you might come to realize that the local church cares about you and in turn that God cares about you as well. And in coming to that conclusion that we're a place that's okay having a little fun in the process. And so each and every week, we've had some fun together in some different ways, from special songs to one week we had a punching machine up here as we went through Creed 3. We've ate a lot of popcorn along the way. We've snacked on a whole lot of candy and Coke. We've sent you guys to the dentist, I guess, by the end of all of this. And every single week, we've tackled a different movie in a different genre. And we've allowed those movies to collide with our lives, some practical and relevant things that we can apply to our Mondays through Saturdays as we walk back out into our real world. And this morning, as we arrive at the finish line of this series, I thought it was only fitting for us to address this tension, these questions that exist in every single one of us, whether you're coming for the first time, you attend CORE once a month, or you're here almost every single weekend. You see, the tension that exists in all of us as we come through a series like this is simply this is that throughout this series, there's been a whole lot of excitement. There's been a buzz in the hallways, and we can get our picture taken, and our kids every single weekend can come in and partake in Mario Kart uh, with some go-karts around the track, and there's a whole lot of fun. But as this series fades into the distance, and today we put a bow on it, and it's no longer present, and all the guys and characters go away, and the movie props are no longer here, we begin to wonder this. So I came. I'm here. I gave church a try. But why come back? Why stay? Why make this more of a priority in my life or my family's life? And this morning, we address those questions and that tension that exists in all of us through a film that's a part of a series that has become iconic and literally created a genre in and of itself over the course of the last 46 years. But these films have become so big that in 11 cinema releases, these films have accrued over $5 billion, yes, with a B, dollars at the box office. That regardless of who you are, whether you've seen these films or not, they have created some of the most iconic characters of all time and some of the most iconic lines of all time. Regardless of if you've seen the movies, you certainly know, Luke, I am your father. And whether you're brave enough to admit it or not, at some point in your life, even if you've never seen the movies, we've all tried to make the Wookiee noise like Chewbacca makes. You see, this morning we find ourselves exploring this kind of second-to-last feature film in the franchise before Disney went all Disney Plus and started releasing all these TV shows in this exact same Star Wars genre. But this morning we find ourselves exploring Solo, a Star Wars story. 
Now, for many of us, we first became familiar with Han Solo as we watched the original trilogy. And I know that's dating some of us because it goes all the way back to the late 70s and early 80s when these first three movies were released. But we became familiar with Han Solo through the actor, anybody know? Harrison Ford. Yes. Han Solo was this rogue outlaw traveling the galaxies, fighting back against the Imperial Empire with only two things to his name, his ship, the Millennium Falcon, and his co-pilot, Chewbacca. And what we find in the original trilogy is him linking arms with characters like Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia to fight back against Darth Vader. But in this newest installment, we go back in time and we begin to uncover this origin story of Han Solo. And as we uncover his origin story, what we begin to find is this, is that while set in galaxies far, far away, Han Solo's story isn't that much different from yours and from mine. You see, what we begin to find is this. As we're introduced to Han in this particular installment, we find his world crumbling beneath him. Han is first becoming this outlaw of the Imperial Empire, and he's on the run because he, he's this short thief who steals all of these small things to try to escape the Imperial Empire. And we pick up this particular movie as his love interest, Kira, is being captured by the Imperial Army. Han is on the run, and he gets this brilliant idea. In order for me to avoid being captured by the Imperial Army, I'm going to hide right beneath their nose. And so he decides to enlist in the Imperial Navy to become his dream of all dreams, a fighter pilot. What we learn as Han attempts to enlist in the Imperial Navy is that he lives his life oftentimes by a similar code as you and I. As he looks at the safest and the easiest way to do life on this earth in the context of relationship and with other people, this is how he chooses to live his life. Check this out. I don't have a people. You see, what we begin to find is that Han's last name is actually derived from the way in which he does life. He has no community, he has no family, he has no tribe in his life. And that exact same sentiment is the one that is all too familiar to many of us as we move through different stages of our life, or if you were created like I, an introvert, you find this being a constant tug within your life and the way in which you do relationship that you begin to derive that life is just easiest and safest if it's done by yourself. And what I know to be certain, in fact, scientific studies, the most recent sociological studies would show us that this is true and a reality for so many of us. Because while we live in an age in which it is easiest for us to connect with one another through technology, what sociological studies have found is this is that we also live in an age in which loneliness is at its highest percentage. The greatest population of us of all time in our infinite ability to connect with each other are actually experiencing loneliness in our lives. And there was a recent study that I came across by a sociologist that, that found this about not just our world, but specifically about our nation, that rings true in our lives, what's happening in us and what's happening around us. You see, what they found is this in this study. 
that a good percentage of Americans are actually living with these three realities in their lives and in their relationships. You see, more than 33% of Americans, they found, have needs and no one to meet them, have hurts and no one to listen to them, have love to give and no one to receive it. See, every single one of us have experienced one of those three realities at some point in our lives. And usually we experience one of those three things or all of those three things in all lives and in all stories as we move through the difficult moments of our lives. Whether they're difficult circumstances that we're encountering or messes created by difficult relationships, this is what we begin to believe about relationship and how we deal with people in the safest and healthiest way possible. This is the way that a character by the name of Beckett, one of the marauders that becomes a partner to Han Solo in the, this origin story, views as the safest way to live his life. As he passes through difficult circumstances, as he goes to the mess, he's been to enough galaxies and encountered enough people to know that there is only one safe way to do life. And this is what he believes that is. You see, as life gets difficult, our natural response is to shrink back into our own shell and to begin to believe that life is safest and easiest lived by the same parameters as Beckett. We trust no one. And usually in our lives, we choose to trust no one because of one of two reasons. That as we pass through the messes and the difficulties of life, the first reason that we choose to withhold trust and to draw back from relationship is because I'm not sure that I can trust you with my messes. That my life is messy and it's difficult and it's not the way I want it to be and I'm not sure that I can trust you to handle that with care. I'm not sure that I can trust that you're going to say the right thing and that you're not going to hurt me with my words by addressing this circumstance that I'm going through or that you can keep the circumstances that I'm walking through and the messes that I have in my life private because I don't want them shared. And I'm not sure that you can keep your mouth shut and so I withhold trust because I'm not sure I can trust you with my messes. Or secondly, I don't know that I can trust you won't make my life messier. Hello, you been there before? We've been hurt in enough relationship to know that if I engage in relationship with you, the likelihood of you making my life messier at some point is pretty decent. And I don't know that I want my life to be messier. And we view this so short-sighted that we think the difficulty and the strain that relationship brings to our life is all relationship has to offer. And yet what we miss is this, y'all. We miss that in all lives, when all we see are the negatives and the messiness and the difficulty and the tension of relationship, we miss the fact that our lives are void of purpose and meaning. That this guy named Jesus, when he came and he said, I want you to experience a rich and satisfying life, to live life and to live it to the full, that we were actually incapable of doing that outside of the context of community and relationship in our lives. You see, believing that myth, that trusting no one and retreating back to only ourselves, 
Believing that myth and living our lives according to that myth ignores this one foundational truth about you and I as humanity, a foundational truth that has been there since the very beginning of time. Then when we look back thousands of years ago to when the God of the universe was forming all of this something from nothing, he kept looking at the things that he was creating, and he kept saying this one sentiment, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he came to the pinnacle of his creation. Whether you knew this or not, that's what you and I are. He deems us his masterpiece. The best part of anything in all this earth and in all the galaxies that God has created, you are the best of the best. And yet when he looked at us, he said, it is not good. Why would God say that? Well, it was based on one missing element. We find it all the way at the beginning of God's instruction manual for all life. When we go directly to the book of Genesis in the second chapter, this is how we see the account unfolding. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says this. Then the Lord God said, here it is, it is not good does that mean man is not good? There is some sort of flaw in the pinnacle of my creation? No, no, no. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. And I love how Adam <laughs> responds here. At last, the man <laughs> exclaimed. At last. It's like Adam is saying, finally, Finally, I have a woman. Finally, I have a partner. Finally, I have someone to do life with. And can I just do a 10-second aside, y'all? I promise this won't be long. You see, right now, many of us find ourselves in relationships, our marriages, in which, in which we wish we would have never made that decision. Relationships filled with disappointment. And oftentimes, what we miss is this. Somebody else is praying for the blessing you're disappointed in. Y'all okay? Okay, we'll move past that 10 seconds because I know that stings. You see, in our life, from the very beginning, we were created for community. We discover God's best for all life. And no matter who you are, what you've come from, how many mistakes you've made, how many times you've turned your back on God, God still wants the very best for your life. He wants you to experience something incredible from this day throughout all of eternity. God's definition of eternity is not after we die. It's from now for forever. That he wants you to experience something incredible right now for the rest of eternity in your life. And he knows that's best done when we engage in the messiness of community. And when we rewind just one chapter what we find is that God knew the value in community because God had always been in community. God didn't create us because he was lonely. God created us because he was loved. And in his infinite love for you and for I, he knew that we were incomplete when doing this life by ourselves. How do we know that God knew the value of community and had always been in community? Well, let's rewind to chapter 1, verse 26. It says this, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. 
You see, what we get from this passage is that the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has always been, will always be there. They had always been in community with one another, and so God knew firsthand the power of community in our lives. And when man was singular, he knew that in order for man to realize and reach their full potential, in order for Ben Carver to realize and reach his full potential, in order for Mark and Susie and John and Billy to reach their full potential, we must have community in our lives. It is the essential ingredient that so often you and I are missing. It is this void that we are without when we begin to buy into the myth that life is just best done alone. About five to 6,000 years later, after man and woman were first placed on this earth, we see the first collection of Jesus' followers begin to gather, and they launch the local church. And as they find themselves gathering against all odds for the very first time and forming these groups, here are the habits we see them begin to form in their lives. In the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of life's hiccups and scars and brokenness, this is the path they choose to take in hopes that it leads to the very best. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it says this. They worship together at the temple, and I highlighted it for you on the screen, each day. Met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. You see, some 2,000 years ago, when the very first group of Jesus followers were congregating, hang on, y'all, they didn't just meet weekly. When it was convenient for their schedule and they had nothing else going on, y'all okay? They met daily. And you may ask the question like I did, well, why did they create a habit around meeting every single day and having messy community in their life every single day? Because make no mistake about it, community was messy 2,000 years ago, just like it is today. They did this because they needed each other. Life was hard, y'all. They were experiencing some incredibly difficult things some 2,000 years ago. Life was hard, unlike today, right? We've, we've got it easy, y'all, right? I mean, in the world that we live in, there's no division, no political tension, no temptations, nothing we've got to worry about with our kids. The economy is always great. Gas is always cheap. No? No? In our lives, as we pass through this world every single day when we hop on social media, people are always kind and considerate of each other, right? Life is easy. 2,000 years ago, what they encountered and what they recognized about their lives is that life was hard. They were entering into this following Jesus thing at a time in which this was far from popular. In fact, your parting gift for following Jesus in the middle of Jewish culture was intense persecution. In fact, what they would face is poverty. 
because their friends who used to work in the market that were a part of the Jewish faith now wanted nothing to do with them, didn't want to sell them anything. Their employers didn't want to keep them employed any longer because now they were a part of what was deemed the way and this following Jesus thing. And in the midst of all of their hardship and all of this struggle and the difficult moments of their life, they realized something and made a habit of something that's in contrast oftentimes to the way you and I choose to do our lives. You see, what we know is that 2,000 years ago, first century believers desperately needed each other. And they knew it. But here's where the contrast comes in. 2,000 years later, we desperately need each other. And we've forgotten it. Because if you didn't catch the sarcasm and what I just talked about, we're dealing with the exact same struggles that they dealt with 2,000 years ago. Life is hard, and life is lonely, and life is full of persecution and temptations and political unrest and division and not-so-nice things happening on social media and gas ain't always cheap and milk and eggs ain't always cheap. Life is not easy. And because of that, we desperately need each other. And yet somewhere along the line, I've forgotten gotten that. Somewhere along the line, it becomes far too easy for you to forget it as well. We keep striving for autonomy. We keep believing, I, I can do this on my own. I can fix this myself. Life is easier on my own, and I don't need anybody else. But the real truth, the real truth is something we see communicated as this band of misfits comes together around the campfire, as Solo is sitting there with these other rogue outlaws, they begin to discuss the way each of them does life. And much like we saw from Beckett, all of them share this story of, I avoid people at all costs. I'm a loner. I'm on my own. That's the easiest way for me to do what I do. But as they share each of these stories around the campfire, as they come to the last person, we hear something that's true, regardless of what we believe or have convinced ourselves of in every single one of our lives. Check this out. You don't fool me. Everybody needs somebody. That in our life, regardless of who we are, where we fall on the spectrum of a relationship with Jesus, whether we walked in here for the very first time or we come here every single weekend, whether our lives are an absolute mess or we find our lives on a mountaintop and things couldn't get any better right now, everybody needs somebody. That the truth is, in order for you and I to be the best versions of ourselves, you were designed to be a part of something bigger than yourself, part of a tribe, a family, a community. And that question that I asked earlier, why stay? Why come back? Why engage in this any more than what me or my family is presently engaging in this? Those questions can be answered this way. You see, one of the things that I try to communicate often to myself and to our staff here at CORE is this reality. I'm not sure if you've noticed as we've passed through this series, but we as CORE Community Church 
can't produce videos of the same quality as what you'll experience walking into the cinema. We will never be able to create music in the same way that you might experience it on the Eras Tour. For those of you who are slightly different generation, Swifties, Taylor Swift. We will never be able to have the production or lighting show that you'll experience walking into the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Walking into this room, you'll never get the same level of quality communication that you might receive in a TED Talk. Every single week, we will walk in here and we will give you our absolute best to help you experience Jesus. But there are things in this culture that we will never be able to compete with, that we will never be better than. And yet there is this one thing that we try to remind ourselves of consistently, and it's this. There is one thing that we as the local church should do better than the world around us. Relationship. We should be about people more than anything else that you can encounter in this world. And hear me loud and clear on this. Not perfect relationship, because that will not happen. That is unachievable. We are all broken. We all bring our own baggage and our own messes to the table. There will be hurt. What I'm talking about is consistent, authentic, transparent relationship. The local church should be the best at that in the entire world. And that, my friends, is what you should expect and encounter when you decide to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. When you engage, jump in, and make this a priority or at least give it a shot, what you get is a gathering of people that isn't perfect, that don't always get it right, that make mistakes and will hurt each other at times, but are much better together than we are apart you become more capable of realizing and reaching your full potential when doing life in the context of authentic, healthy relationship. You see, as a church, as this community, this is what we strive for. And this is what we believe we should be and could be in your life and in your story to help you experience your very best as a part of messy community, but a community that is better together than we are separate. You see, first and foremost, what we believe is that this church, the church, was designed to be a gathering of grace. A gathering of grace. Last week, we talked about this letter that a guy by the name of Paul wrote to a church that he had founded along the Mesopotamian Rim, a church in the city of Philippi. And he wrote it at a time at which this church was considering throwing in the towel because they were facing such immense persecution. Scholars believe that the church in Philippi experienced greater persecution than maybe any of the other churches that Paul founded and wrote letters to. And here they were experiencing intense persecution and also grappling with this reality that Paul, their leader, their founder, had been thrown in prison. He wasn't of great health. And what we know is that Paul never made it out of the prison cell that he wrote the letter to the church in Philippi from. And so here they are dealing with all of life's difficulties, 
trying to stay together, trying to engage in community. And last week, we talked about these four pieces of advice that Paul gave them, one in each chapter of this letter. But at the very beginning of the letter, Paul gives them this reminder of who they are, what they are receiving within this community, this gathering that changes the dynamic of their story. You see, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul writes this. I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. He reminds them of this incredible hope that we get to live in in all lives through our stories, that we all get to be partakers of grace in our messiest version of ourselves. When we are at our lowest point, grace trumps it all both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, we remind ourselves of this grace. You see, we come together in this gathering as people who consistently remind ourselves of the grace we have been offered freely. A grace that changes everything. A grace that allows us to move through a life that should be hopeless with hope. But in turn, in reminding each other of the grace we have been given freely and are on the receiving end of, in our most broken state, this is what it also does. It reminds us that because of the gift that we were given of grace, we should now turn and be the best grace givers to the world around us. The local church should be the most proficient organization in the world at giving grace. Y'all okay? And I get it, y'all, it's necessary for me to address this tension. Because if you just take a two-snippet part of my message on the live stream and you pick this out or you tune out after this, you're going to miss the truth of this moment. Being a gathering of grace does not mean we water down the truth, but we don't turn down the grace. We are a group of people that don't call wrong right but we also do not partake in public condemnation. Why? Because that is what this guy that we claim to be following modeled. We are a place that is meant to communicate the message that this is a place where it's okay to not be okay, where you can come and belong even before you believe, that when you walk into this place, We are a place that is this constant reminder that if you need grace, this is a place where you can get it. In your most broken state, when you feel as if everything has gone wrong and you've made a million mistakes, that this is a place that offers solution within the context of community, a community, a tribe, a family that isn't perfect, but is proficient at extending grace to each other because we recognize that our God who didn't have to extended grace to us. This is a gathering of grace, but secondly, it's also a gathering of healing. You see, we've addressed this throughout this series week after week, that as we pass through life, this life will break us. 
We will experience loss. We will experience hurt. We will experience mistakes in our past. Those things are inevitable. It's a part of every single one of our stories. And I don't know about you, but for me, when things get broken, the only solution is something that can begin to put the broken pieces back together. And within this gathering, we have that potential. This is the place where those broken pieces can begin to become mended again. This is what Jesus, the brother of the guy who put on flesh and stepped onto the pages of history as God, this is what James writes about the potential in this place. In chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Our greatest hurts and pains find healing and healthy, authentic relationships. That's what James is talking about. That when we find a group of people who are for us, fighting for us, praying for us, want the best for us, and are willing to walk through our messes with us, that is the very place in which we experience healing in our lives. That we are a group of imperfect people walking into a place like this, just hoping to come into contact with the great physician. And this, y'all, this goes to the next level when we become courageous enough to just not answer the question like, why come back here or why stay or why engage more? But we take that next uncomfortable step of saying, okay, now I'm engaged and I want to be a part of a small group of people a small group of people who understand me, who are invested in my life, who want what's best for me. Yes, it's messy. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, there's some weirdness that happens there because people bring their own dynamics and some people are weird, yada, 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 to the table. But that, y'all, is where this healing power goes to the next level when we are courageous enough to move from rows to circles. So we believe growth happens best in circles, not in rows. That's where we experience healing for the hurting and the messes of our lives. It's a gathering of grace, a gra gathering of healing, and lastly, what strikes deep into all of our souls, this desire that we all have, is that this is a gathering of mission. It's a gathering of mission. You see, we talked about this last week. When your life becomes only a means to your own end, your life will always lack meaning. When your life is only a means to your own preferred end, what you want for yourself, what you want out of your own life, and getting that for yourself, when your life is only about that, your life will always lack meaning. It will always lack purpose. But if you want to live a life of purpose, we have to look beyond ourselves. Become a part of something that isn't just about you. Latch on to a vision that's bigger than any one of us could accomplish on our own. You see, this place is a gathering of mission to make heaven more crowded, to help people experience the love and transformative power of Jesus, to reach further into our city and further into our world, to become a place that's about so much more than just what happens within these four walls one day out of the week. You see, what I can guarantee you is this is that while this place will never, ever be able to match the quality of the best cinema you ever walk into or the heiress tour and the best concert experience that you could ever be a part of, 
What I can also guarantee you is this. You will never find mission and purpose for your life walking into the cinema. You will never find mission and purpose for your life walking into the best concert experience ever. But it's something that you and I can experience in our lives for our futures right here in the context of messy, authentic, consistent relationships. 2,000 years ago, when they gathered together on mission, even when it was messy and difficult, this was the outcome of them choosing to engage in community consistently. In verse 47, we read 46 about them gathering together each day. Here's what it says happened. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And each day, the Lord added to their gathering those who were recognizing the grace-filled, healing, transformative power of Jesus in their lives and their present and their future were being changed for the better. This is a gathering of mission. And here's the really cool part, y'all. This, the, the benefits of this works both ways. There's this part at the very end of the movie in which Han Solo has escaped the Crimson Dawn. But his comrades have been taken captive. Chewbacca is being led out into the desert as a prisoner. And he has this one final moment with his love interest, Kira. And this is the advice that she offers him in this moment of his life. Some advice that can drastically change the way we look at our lives and the way we look at this gathering of mission. Check this out. You need each other. Go get Chewbacca because he needs you and you will need him as well. And here's the reality of this gathering on mission. As much as I believe with all of my heart that we individually need community in our lives, what I also believe with all of my heart is this, is that we as a community are better with you individually being a part of that community, that we need you organizationally to allow us to accomplish the mission, and you need the organization in order to be a part of a mission that's bigger than yourself. But there is something incredible that happens within this gathering for both sides, both individually and collectively, that allow us to be world changers, to bring hope into a hopeless world, and to make an impact on a world that desperately needs some organizations to be different. See, the tension that exists is that showing up to a place like this or, or even taking the step, if you show up here consistently to, to jump into a small group, quite frankly, kind of sounds like hell. Like it sounds uncomfortable. It sounds messy. I know when I get into any form of community or gathering that there's going to be some weird people there. Yes, yes, and yes. Those things are to be expected. 
there's going to be some messiness, and every group of people has some weird people. And if you think your group doesn't have any weird people, every group has some weird people. Catch the writing between the lines. You may be that. But what I believe with all of my heart is this, is that engaging in messy, difficult community, while it may be a risk, the risk is always worth the reward. The risk is always worth the reward that if you want to experience life's best, realize and reach your full potential, live a life on mission and purpose, there is no way for you and I to do that outside of the context of relationship and community and our lives. It requires a gathering of grace, a gathering of healing, and a gathering of mission in your life. His church might not be able to compete with a lot of things in this culture in a lot of ways, but authentic relationship that is messy but changes your life is one thing that we can do better than this world. Why? Because we strive to operate with the same grace that Jesus did. Because the one who created this world, who created you and I and sustained this world, the one who holds the world in his hands, knows the value and the power of community in every single one of our lives and in every single one of our stories. So why stay? Why come back? Why engage more when the movie lights fade and the props go away? The answer? Because your future, the future of your family, your finances, your marriage, your parenting, your career, the impact you make on this earth is dependent upon your willingness and my willingness to step in the messy, difficult, but authentic community in our lives. Would you pray with me? all eyes closed. See, maybe this morning you walked into this room and the element that, that you've been missing in your life that's made you feel less than, as if you're never good enough, you'll never be enough. You'll always be defined by your past and the mistakes of your past. The element that's been missing is this gift of free grace that has been extended to each of us by our Heavenly Father. Paid for when he put on flesh and blood and went to a cross to take my past, my sins, upon his shoulders. That's the model that this gathering is supposed to be reproducing. Maybe for you this morning, this step that you need before you even think about coming back or diving in further is to experience this grace, is to experience community and relationship with a God who loves you, is for you, wants what's best for you. And if that's you this morning, and you're like, Ben, I don't know where to start. I don't know what this looks like. And this morning, he came to a cross to make it ridiculously simple. It's as simple as just 
repeating these words in your own head and your own heart. God, today. And I look back on my life. It becomes pretty evident that I've made plenty of mistakes. My past hasn't been perfect. I've tried to do it on my own. I've tried to fix it myself. I've sought autonomy. And God, it isn't working. And I'm exhausted and need something different. And so this morning, God, I'm asking you into my story. I need that gift of free grace. I want relationship with you. The God who loves me is for me and wants what's best for me. And so today I'm inviting you into my life. I'm inviting you into my story. It's in your name. And for all of us, God, this morning, we thank you for being a God who freely extended that grace a God who is a healer, a God who gives us mission and purpose. But experiencing those things in all life require us to engage in community. And so wherever we are, may we be courageous enough to take one step deeper, one step more, to be able to realize and reach our full potential in you. It's in your name that we pray.